Well, good morning. Great to have you all here this morning. Um, so next, next Sunday, I won't be preaching through Proverbs. Here's, here's what I'm going to be preaching about baptism because we have our baptism service next Sunday. So you are more than welcome uh, to come to that next Sunday. Then we will have a soup lunch uh, straight after that. So we would love to have you there. You're absolutely more than welcome to come. And just to encourage the children, children, after the service, if you've done your drawings or whatever, or maybe you might not have a sheet, I love to see your drawings afterwards. So remember, write your name down, come to me. I'd love to see them. It helps me pray for you during the week. So please uh, do uh, that. And um, for the little ones, I'm always louder than the little children. So don't worry about them at all. Uh, That is fine. So we're in Proverbs chapter 6. So if you could open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. We're starting in verse 20. Proverbs chapter 6. Starting in verse 20, and we'll look at some of chapter 7 as well together. So Proverbs chapter 6. And this morning we will be looking at the topic of adultery. Adultery. Jesus was teaching in the temple. And when he was teaching in the temple, a crowd of people surrounded him. There's always a crowd of people around Jesus when he was teaching. And as he was teaching in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees came and they brought with them an adulterous woman and they threw the adulterous woman before Jesus. And they said to Jesus these words, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? There Jesus is teaching at the temple. These scribes and these Pharisees, these religious people, they take this adulterous woman, they throw the adulterous woman before him, and they say, now what are you going to do with her? They did this in order to test him. Jesus wasn't flustered by it at all. In fact, the scripture tells us that what Jesus did, and in John chapter 8 it tells us, Jesus at this, do you know what he did? He bent down and he started writing in the ground. He bent down and he started writing in the ground and then he said this, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And as he was writing, guess what happened? All of them walked away, beginning with the oldest. Well, Jesus is writing there in the ground. Sometimes when it comes to adultery, we think adultery is somebody else's problem. We think adultery is outside of us. And we want to throw the adulterous person before Jesus and say, what are you going to do with her? What are you going to do with him? We think that adultery is outside of us. We don't think it is our problem. So ultimately, when we are listening to passages like that, we say, oh yeah, that's for someone else. That's not for me. That can't be for me. That's about the adulteress out there. That is about them. That is not about me. And yet, when you think about adultery in the Scriptures... I think adultery is a sin that affects every single one of us. Every single one of us. 
Flo, Flo, Flo read this morning from James chapter 4. It says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? How do fights and quarrels start among you? He says, don't they start from what is inside you? The desires that are inside your heart, that is where the quarrels and fights start. From within you. And then James says this to the brothers and sisters who he was talking to. He says this, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? When we fight with one another, do you know what that is? We're not just fighting with one another. Do you know what that is when we're fighting? It is adultery toward God. Every single one of our sins is adultery toward God. In other words, we are cheating on Him every time we sin. Is there anyone here that is going to cast the first stone? And then when you think of adultery, and usually we think of adultery as, as physical and sexual sin. That's what we think when we think adultery. It's, it's just physical and sexual sin. But then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there's not just adultery between us and God, but there can also be t- adultery between us and people, not just physically. But he said this in Matthew 5 verse 28, he said this, I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. Every sin against God is adultery. And then this particular sin of adultery, when we look at a man or when we look at a woman with lust, just look with lustful intent, lustful desire, we have committed adultery. It is not just the physical sin. And so if you have desired someone who is not your husband or who is not your wife or who is not yours, or if you have desired someone else's husband and someone else's wife, even in your heart, and you think nobody knows it, nobody can see it, nobody knows what's going on, then you too have committed adultery. He who has not sinned cast the first stone. And I think we would be exactly like those scribes and Pharisees. We would drop our stones and we would walk away. So if adultery is a problem for all of us, then we need wisdom in our lives to tell us how we're going to deal with that adultery. How are we going to battle adultery? And I believe this passage in in Proverbs chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 7 gives us practical strategies whereby we can battle against adultery. And so here's what I'm going to do. At the end of chapter 6, here's what he does. He, he, He talks through these three strategies. And then in chapter 7, I'm going to talk about them again because he repeats them again in chapter 7 and we'll look at them in more detail. But first in chapter 6, all I want to do is briefly highlight to you these strategies or what they are really is warning signs to us. If, if you are, if you are on the pathway to adultery, what he's going to label for us, not scratch strategies, what he's going to label to us is warning signs. Three warning signs that you are on the pathway to committing adultery. I want to read to you chapter 6 and then we'll look at the warning signs. Chapter 6 verse 20 says this. 
My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but the married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He does it, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. Herein lies three warnings for those who may be on the path to commit adultery. The first warning is this. You have stopped listening. There's a warning sign that should ring in your head that you are on the pathway to adultery, to committing this sin when you have stopped listening. And when you stop listening, that should be a warning to you. God's word is precious to us. We have heard this time and time again. It has been like the drumbeat that has gone throughout Proverbs, hasn't it? In some way, in every single one of the Father's speeches, and now we're in the last two, speech 9 and speech 10, in some way, He has said, you need to listen, you need to hear, you need to treasure the commands, you need to bind them, you need to tie them around your neck, you need to keep them close to you, they should be treasures to you, they should be jewels to you. And if you don't listen to that, if you don't hear the treasure and the jewels, you are in some serious trouble. That is the warning for you. And I love the way he poetically says it and the way they've translated it in verse 23. Listen to what it says. For the commandment is a lamp, the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The word of God to us, the wisdom of God to us is a lamp, it is a light and it is life. It is, it is a lamp in the darkness. Adultery is in darkness. You need a lamp to shine light into that darkness. 
Adultery leads to death. You need this lamp, this light that will give you life. You need the words of God and you need the wisdom of God in your life. And one of the ways you will know you are in some serious danger is you have stopped listening to the wisdom of God. You think it's not important in your life. You think, I don't need to hear that on Sunday. I don't need to hear that on Friday. I don't need to hear that during the week. You are in some serious danger if you've stopped listening to the words of God. It is wisdom for your soul. You see, if you're not listening to the word of God, guess what? The world is speaking to you. The world is preaching to you every single day. And so if you're only listening to the voice of the world, then you are in real danger if you're not listening to the voice of the Word. So one of the ways we avoid this danger of adultery is paying attention to the words of wisdom. You know you're in danger when you've stopped listening. This word is so precious. I was caught by a quote by a a man called Henry Smith. I was reading it and he said this about the Bible. The Bible is a lantern to direct us. It is medicine to heal us. It is a guide to conduct us. It is a bit to restrain us. It is a sword to defend us. It is water to wash us. It is fire to inflame us. It is salt to season us. It is milk to nourish us. It is wine to rejoice us. It is rain to refresh us. It is treasure to enrich us. And it is the key to unlock heaven's gates for us. This is God's word. And if you think for some reason God's word isn't rich and God's word is boring in some way, you're missing it. You are in danger. Pray and ask God for help. So the first warning sign is you are not listening. The second warning sign is you are not watching. You're not being careful. You are not watching out. And he points that out in verse 24. He talks about the schemes of the adulterous woman. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. We talked about this. The adulteress or the adulterer, we've talked already about the fact that, of course, he is talking about a woman in this passage. Why? Because he is talking to his son. If there was a mother talking to a daughter, she would warn about the man. So this is not coming against women in any way. This is just, we're listening in to a father talking to a son and he's saying, you've got to watch out for these women. And there's two things you need to watch out for. You need to watch out for her lips and her looks. He talked about the lips, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. This idea of inappropriate conversation that we engage ourselves in inappropriate um, flattery or flirting that we can engage ourselves in. You know you're in danger when you've stopped watching out for those kind of conversations. When you've said to yourself, those conversations don't matter. It's just a, it's just a conversation. We're not doing anything. We're not acting upon our conversation. We're just having, having a chat about this stuff that is inappropriate. But surely if we're not doing anything, we're not in danger. Well, we need to watch out for those kind of conversations her lips but we also need to watch out for her looks and the reality is in verse 25 he says do not desire her beauty here's the thing 
it's not wrong to look beautiful. <laughs> it's not wrong for us to dress up. It's not wrong to look beautiful. And it's not even wrong for us to recognize beauty. We, we're going to see beauty. We're going to see a man or a woman who looks beautiful. We're, we're going to see that. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. People are beautiful. People are amazing. And we are going to see that beauty. There's, there's nothing wrong with seeing that beauty. There's nothing wrong with, with looking beautiful. What is wrong? Do not desire. That's the key. Do not desire that beauty for yourself when it is not yours. Don't desire someone else's husband, someone else's wife when it's not yours. And again, with, with conversations, it's not saying that we should avoid conversations between men and women. It, that's not wrong. That's okay. That's fine. That's beautiful. We're going to work together. Why do men and women work well together? Hmm, maybe it could be because we were in the garden before and God saw two perfect relationships that could work together and then it could result in the world flourishing. It's a good thing. The wrong thing is when there's inappropriate conversation an inappropriate desire, and you know you're in trouble, the warning sign to you is if you're not careful about that desire. If you're, you're desiring someone in your mind, in your head, and not watching out for that, that's a warning sign to you. And you say, I can't be in trouble. I'm not in trouble because I haven't acted upon anything. I've only had a conversation. I've only thought about it. There's, there should be nothing wrong if I've just thought about it. And then the father would say this to you. He asked two questions in verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Can a man light a bonfire on his chest and think, my clothes aren't going to get burned? What's the answer to that? You can answer it. No. No. If you light a flyer close to your chest, what's going to happen? You are going to get burned. Then he gives another picture. Can a man walk on, on, on coal? Fire, what's, what way does he put it? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get burned? Can he? You can answer that. Can he do that? No. So why do you suddenly think, I can have this conversation, it's fine, it's going to be grand, no, no harm is going to come to me, I can, I can desire in my mind as long as I don't do anything, that's going to be fine. Proverbs would say, you're going to get burned. So warning sign number one, you've stopped listening. Warning sign number two, you've stopped watching out. And warning sign number three, you've stopped thinking. You've stopped thinking. You've stopped thinking about the consequences that all of this is going to lead to. You see, because you enter into things thinking, I'm not going to get harmed. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. But he labels the consequences. He says them in verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. This is a foolish thing. When you commit adultery, you'll be saying to yourself, what was I doing? This makes no sense. And the one who commits adultery lacks sense. Why? Because he isn't thinking. She isn't thinking about where this is going to lead to. Where does it lead to? Verse 33, 32. 
He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. And again, hear the poetic way they have translated this. You do it, you're destroyed, you're dishonored, and you're disgraced. If you keep to the word, you get a lamp, you get a light, and you get life. If you go away from the word and think you're not going to get burned by uh, adultery, you are going to be destroyed, dishonored, and disgraced. You need to know where this is going. This is going to lead you to death. And doesn't that ring true for all of our sin? Do you know when you've committed, maybe you have an habitual sin in your life and you've committed that sin again. And you look back on the day after you've committed that sin again, maybe it's anger, rage, whatever it might be, you've committed that sin again and you look back and you ask yourself, why didn't I know that this was coming? Why didn't I see it again? Why didn't I see that I was walking down this path of destruction again? We all need to know where this leads. It's the warning signs. You've stopped listening, you've stopped watching, and you've stopped thinking. Watch out. We need to watch out for these warning signs. And again, he begins chapter 7. This is the tenth speech, the final father-son speech, chapter 7. And he warns him about the same thing. When I read books, usually what I do before I read a book, here's my trick about how to read a book fast. I look at the table of contents and I, and I look at where the author spends most of his time. How many pages does he devote to this chapter? And often you'll have a chapter that's like 60 pages and the other are like 30 pages. So you know, what's important to this author? The 60 pages. What's not as important to this author? The 30 pages. So I know I'm going to spend a lot of time on this chapter that is 60 pages. That's kind of a nerdy point, but hopefully you get it. The chapter that is 60 pages, I'm going to spend more time. This father is devoting three of his ten speeches to one topic. Adultery. What do you think he's worried about for his son? You're in danger in this world. And I'm going to repeat myself and repeat myself and repeat myself to make sure you hear the point. What do parents do with children? Do you ever repeat yourself? I think it's a daily occurrence. Do you ever say, how many times do I have to say that? We do. Because we have to repeat ourselves. Sorry for shouting that bit. I told you I'm louder than the kids. We get caught up in this world of adultery. The father repeats himself because we need to hear it. We need to hear it. We forget so easily. What's the first warning sign? You're not listening. How does he start? My son, he goes again. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments, verse 2, chapter 7. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call inside your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. 
Keep my word. Treasure my word. Hold my word. Listen to my word. Keep it as the apple of your eye. Wouldn't that be wonderful if God's word enticed us more and was the apple of our eye more than the adulterous woman or the man? And he begins the speech with the call to listen. And he ends the speech with the call to listen. Look at the end of the speech, verse 24. He says again, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. And and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. At the start of the speech, what does he say? Listen to my words. At the end of the speech, what does he say? Listen to my words. At the start of the ten speeches, what did he say? What was the first word he said at the start of the speeches? Hear my son. What's the last word he says at the end of the ten speeches? Listen, my son. How do you know you're in danger if you're not listening? If you've given up and said, this isn't important to me, you are in danger. I want us to think about that practically. How can we listen well? Well, of course, we can sit down and listen to God's Word. Of course, we can read God's Word ourselves. But I was reading a book uh, over Christmas. I got to read a book, choose it myself, and I didn't have to read it, and I didn't have to finish it. And guess what? I didn't finish the book. Why? Because I own the book, and the book doesn't own me. I don't have to finish that thing if I don't want to finish it. It's quite freeing, actually, when you realize that. So, so I got this book. It was by a, a lady called um, Dr. Uh, Joanne Jung, or I think Joanne Young, something like that. Really, really well-written Christian book. And by the way, I would say to the women here, that would be a really cool way for you to serve the Lord. Why couldn't you write for the glory of God? Because there is a shortage in some way of women writing for the Lord. And I think you could do that. And I think in this church we have got some women who can write really, really well. I think you could do that for the Lord. Anyway, I was reading this book by Dr. Joanne Jung. And as I was reading this book by her, she was talking about the, the Christians in, in, in the 17th and 18th century in England called the Puritans. They were these Christians known for their devotion to God. And they were devoted to what you'd call the spiritual disciplines. So the spiritual disciplines would be prayer, reading your Bible, singing hymns, all the major kind of spiritual disciplines that a Christian would do. But there was one thing she was writing about, and it was called conferencing. The Puritans considered conferencing as part of those spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible, praying, singing hymns, and conferencing. And you think to yourself, what on earth is conferencing? Why was that important to them? What conferencing was, was conversation. Talking about the sermon. They saw that as a spiritual discipline. So what they would often do on the Lord's Day is they would hear God's Word, they would listen intently to God's Word, and they would go back home and they would talk about the message that they had heard together. They would conference together. They would have a conversation together. 
And then throughout the week, as Christians met with one another, they would conference together. They would practice the spiritual discipline, not just of prayer, but the spiritual discipline of talking about what they've heard on Sunday morning. You see, they saw the 40 minutes or whatever a Sunday morning as a time that they needed to invest, listen well, and then talk about it afterwards. And what this lady was writing about in this book is she said, we need to revive the art of conferencing. I think she's right. Because we're really bad about talking about the sermon, aren't we? I mean, you, you drive home, right? You, you're, you're on the way home and, and you're driving home with the person you're with and, and, you, and you say this, that was good. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Where we go for lunch? And you drive on, right? That's, our confer- that's the extent of most of our conferencing. That was good. Or you drive away, that was bad. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. What we get for lunch? And it's almost like you've come in to watch a movie and you've judged the movie. Is it good? Is it bad? Move on. Or when we talk in detail about a sermon, sometimes we talk in detail only when we disagree with something that's been said, when we're critiquing it. And I'm not saying there are not things to critique. Often there can be things to critique. All I'm saying is wouldn't it be better Wouldn't it be more reviving for our souls if we listened to the Word and talked to each other after, during the week, and said, what are we going to do about this in our home? What are we going to do about this in our life? And I guarantee you, once you start doing this, it's going to be really awkward at the start because they're going to know exactly what you're doing. How did you find the sermon? And then you'll start, start talking about it, and it might be strange and weird. But wouldn't it be good if we as the church, when we met up for lunch afterwards, or when we went for walks with our buggies, or when we invited each other over, that we would talk about what we've heard in the Word, and in that way we would be listening well. Warning sign to you is, you stop listening. The other warning sign is you've stopped watching and you've stopped thinking. And in order to warn the son against watching out and and thinking well, the father, he tells a story. In the the last speech, he, he just told a directive speech, but now he tells a story. And listen to the beginning of his story. Here's what he says in verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Oh no. Why? Who are those who commit adultery? The one who lacks sense. He was passing along the street near her corner. Foolish move. Taking the road to her house. Foolish move. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. The father says, I'm in the safety of my house and I, and, I, and I look through the window and as I look through the window, I see a young man out there and that young man is lacking sense. He is without sense. Why? He is walking in the wrong place. He is going to the wrong place. He is not watching out. He is not being careful. He is going right by her corner. Now we get the impression he doesn't know it's her corner, but he's foolishly walking around. And what time of day it is. How many times do they have to tell us that it is dark? 
It was twilight. It was evening. It was night. It was darkness. In other words, you're a fool. You should be inside with me. Instead, you're outside in the darkness, in the evening, in the twilight. You're there. Don't go there. Don't be careless. Watch out. If you could be walking towards a place of compromise in your life, it may not be sin for you to go to that place, but it is certainly foolish for you to go to that place. You need to watch out. If there was an alcoholic who just recovered or just, you know, came out of his alcoholism and he said, I'm going to go to the pub every night. It wouldn't be sin for him to go to the pub every night, would it? But it would be foolish for him to go to the pub every night, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So it would be with someone who has an addiction to pornography. Wouldn't it be foolish for that person to just roam the internet freely? And not have any safeguards in to protect him or her? Him or her? Because both struggle with that? Would it not be foolish? Of course it would be foolish. Why would we freely roam the streets if this is a struggle? Why would we go down the corners? And parents, can I say this? We need to figure out ways to protect our home. It is foolishness to hand our children a phone and say, Go for it, lads! Freedom! Foolishness. We're sending them down the darkness and the dark paths and the foolish ways. Don't do it. We cannot do it. We must watch out for ourselves and for them. If there is a man or a woman that you are desiring right now that is not your husband, not your wife, or somebody else's husband, or somebody else's wife, it is not sin for you to be alone with that person. But my goodness, it's foolishness. Don't walk down that path. Don't walk to that corner. Guess what happens to the sun? When the sun walks down the corner, at twilight, at night, at evening, in the darkness, guess what happens to him? Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him. Shock horror. Behold, the woman meets him. Guess how she's dressed? Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you. And seek you eagerly. And I have found you. Of course he was going to meet her. He was in the wrong place. At the wrong time. And it was foolishness. Of course he was going to see her. What was he doing? He wasn't paying attention to the warning signs. He wasn't watching out. He wasn't being careful. And of course, when he finds her, what does she do? She uses the same old strategy. She uses her looks. She dresses as a prostitute. She uses her lips. And guess what she says with her lips? Verse 14, I have offered the sacrifices today. I've done all the holy things. I've been religious today. Now it's time for us to be with each other. 
What she's probably offering him is food because after the peace offering, fellowship offerings, do you know what they had? They had food left over. And so it's probably true that she's saying to him, enticing him with her lips, with her speech, I have food for you. Come, I have food for you. I have food left over for you. And not only do I have food for you, guess what else I have for you? I have furniture for you. Look at what she says in verse 16. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. She says, I've got food for you. I've got the right furniture for you. Come on, come on. And the final promise is, I've got freedom for you. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Freedom. She looks at him and she says, we are going to get away with this. All our sin says that to us, doesn't it? You can do it. You're going to get away with it. No one can see your thoughts. You're going to get away with it. No one has seen your conversation. You're going to get away with it. You have freedom. The sun doesn't get away with it. And we won't get away with it. Why? Because he was not thinking. Look at the final verses I'll read to you. Verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He's not thinking about the cost. He stopped listening. He stopped watching. And he stopped thinking about the cost. I imagine, you know, he said like an ox to the slaughter. Kind of like, you, you imagine a cow like going into the slaughterhouse. These men look kind of nice. They have a knife. They have nice little suits on. Maybe they'll give me food. And suddenly, killed. It's exactly what will happen to us if we're not careful. We're not careful. This is a warning to us. And you know what this word stands for Christians? With all our sin, this word should bring about conviction in our hearts. It is right. All scripture is useful for correcting, for training, for teaching, for rebuke. It should convict our hearts. But this word does not condemn us. It should convict us, but it should never condemn us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, it should never condemn you. The Word should always convict you, but never condemn you. Do you know why? Jesus was there 
He was at the temple. He was writing on the ground. Everybody's worried about what he was writing. Don't worry about what he was writing. Just, just look about what he was doing. He's writing in the ground and he says this. It's a brilliant moment. He writes in the ground and he says, He who has not sinned cast the first stone. He's looking at the ground writing. They all leave beginning with the oldest. Then it says he stands up and he looks at the adulterous woman and he says, after he's writing down, he stands up, he says, Woman, where are they? Where are they? And then he says to her, Is there anyone to condemn you? Does no one condemn you? She says, No one, Lord. And then he looks at her and he says to her this, Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You may have passed sexual sin in your life. You may have committed adultery in your life. But if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have repented of your sin, and if you believe in Him by faith, He looks at you and He says, neither do I condemn you. Even this week, if you have been foolish in your thoughts and in your lust, and if you have repented of your sin, you may still feel the guilt of that sin. But if you have repented of your sin, Jesus comes to you and He says, neither do I condemn you. Do you know why I know that? Because I actually believe the Scripture that says, therefore, if any was in, is in Christ, He is a new creation. I believe the Scripture when it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. There might be conviction from this passage for you. But if you are in Christ, that conviction leads you to life, not to condemnation. And so Jesus would say the same thing to you this morning. Go and sin no more. Stop what you're doing. You don't have condemnation. For those of us in Christ Jesus, yes, there should be conviction. But we must always remember There is no more condemnation. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and for the preciousness of it. I pray that you would help us speak about it and treasure it and enjoy hearing it. And Lord, we know that at times it cuts us to the heart. And yet we praise you, Lord Jesus, there is no more condemnation for those in Christ. And so I pray for each one in this room that we would repent of our sin and trust in you to live a life of holiness. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, help us and empower us to live this life. And I pray for those who do not know you this morning who stand in the condemnation and wrath of their sin. Oh Lord, might they come to you in repentance and faith. In your name, amen.